This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? 9.36 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run on BFM 89.9. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Xiaoning and Philip C. This is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly roundup show of the top stories that have dominated the news cycle this week and maybe other news tidbits that you may have missed. Let's start with the big news coming out of the U.S. So the U.S. House of Representatives has been without a speaker for over a week after Kevin McCarthy was ousted on October 3rd. Now, just this week, I think it was on Wednesday, the House Republicans narrowly voted to select Steve Scalise as the new speaker. Uh, But guess what? That plan has been torpedoed this morning when Scalise dropped out of the speaker race. So we're back to a search for the next speaker candidate. Can I just quote him? Because it's such a good line, right? He goes, it wasn't going to happen today. It wasn't going to happen tomorrow. I redraw my name. Well, what a realist. So in that sense, he was different from Kevin McCarthy because Kevin McCarthy stuck it out for 15 rounds of voting on the House floor. Steve Scalise seems to see, okay, the writing's on the wall. I'm not going to get the support of my party. Republicans, therefore, let's look for someone else who can. Will any Republican get support from the whole party? That, I think, is the worrying element here, in the sense that because the majority is so thin, they do need the close to unanimous support of all Republicans, right? And which nominee can garner that level of support? And unfortunately, it feels like you need to be extreme to basically get the whole unanimous support because the moderates are likely to just compromise, right? That's the biggest concern here. Well, or you're just a master politician, right? You you manage to send the right, you sing the right tune to the right audience at the right time. Mm. So, okay, let's talk about some of these names. And I'm reading from Bloomberg because this is like really hot news. The news that Scalisi dropped out came out only at around 8 a.m. our time. So Bloomberg is reporting that you could have Jim Jordan, who actually went round the first round and only got ninety nine of the ninety nine votes in the first round. Was time. endorsed by Donald Trump. Yes, Donald Trump's favorite. So you can imagine what kind of leanings he has. Uh, apparently, other names include GOP vote counter Tom Emmer of Minnesota or Republican Study Committee Chair Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma could join the contest. But I have to confess, I don't know who these individuals are. I mean, they're not household names. Mm. And maybe that's a good thing, right? Because they're not so famous and they can kind of fly under the radar and basically get things done. But the worrying part I have is that we have to address some really pressing concerns, right? What is the US position in in the current Palestinian-Ukraine conflict, the armament of Russia-Ukraine conflict happening still, and most importantly, addressing the potential government shutdown taking place in about 30 days' time. That's right. They do have a lot of um, issues in their entry, and they are essentially paralyzed until they appoint this House Speaker. And I'm wondering how what this is going to, how this will play out in the broader U.S. political landscape, especially as we head into re-elections next year. Will the Democrats be able to capitalize on this and really put the blame on Republicans for holding everything up? I'm curious to see how the longer term um, things will play out. So let's just reiterate or remind everybody: in if there 
there is no speaker, the House can't do anything, right? Nothing. Zero. Everything comes to a grinding halt. There have been talks to maybe consider giving the temporary speaker additional powers to pass some of those pressing uh, bills that need to be addressed. Uh, but I don't think there's all too much support for that. And really, you have to have mm. a permanent speaker to be able to uh, move forward. And that guy is Patrick Manhenry. He is a Republican of North Carolina. He is, of course, what they call the pro tem speaker. Guess what he can do? What's his powers? Bang the gavel. Uh, basically organize the election of a new speaker. That's his main job. I know that he did kick out Nancy Pelosi from her office in the House Representative uh, building. So that's also something that he can he could do. do. I'm just worried about what does this mean for markets? It's simply because if there's an imminent government shutdown, are we going to see pressure on bond markets? Are we going to see king dollar is essentially erode a bit in impact, right? So what does this actually mean if we see this uh, prolonged? But you know, our commentators from the United States, they seem very calm about this, right? When we ask them, what is the implications? Versus, I think earlier in the year when the government was, you know, question marks about its status uh, among the rating agencies, there was more consideration about whether US was heading for bankruptcy. This somehow to most Americans is like, mm. oh, it happens all the time. Every two, three years, we get into this pickle about government spending. But of course, the new dilemma here is that we have no speaker to, to push through legislation. So, yeah, we'll be watching this space. Indeed, who knows? Maybe after the weekend, uh, calmer heads will prevail. Maybe we'll have new developments next week on who that next speaker could be. But turning our attention to the next story that we've been keeping an eye on, uh, Paris is often called the City of Lights or the City of Love, if you're romantic. But it uh, may get a new nickname, the City of Bugs, given an infestation of pests that has arisen there. Well, I think we've seen all these social media postings of these bit bugs in Parisian cinemas, trains and subways. And of course, people are panicking, especially all these American tourists taking pictures. And the worrying is, of course, Paris Olympics, which is actually upon us. That is the worrying thing, actually. <laughs> is it is going thing. to be 2024. Please correct me if I'm wrong. That's right. But I think the question here is, I think there's been a huge surge of exterminators coming in, increased by about 9.7%, close to a million people to basically eradicate all these pests. Have you ever been bitten by a bit, Bob? I have. I have. I have travelled to some destinations where, yes, it has and happened. how painful was it? It's not painful because you don't really know that you're being bitten. You only kind of know the next morning when you wake up and there are so all these red dots all over your back or wherever you lie down. And let me tell you, no amount of cortisol cream is going to help. And antihistamines only reduce <laughs> the struggle with the itch. It's not the best thing. But I think what's interesting is um, the fact that a lot of Parisians are panicking. And the New York Times has this really interesting article about how people are just overreacting. And that, you know, they're calling exterminators when they don't really need to. Because you imagine it's like the worst of your nightmares while you're lying there, right? People have visions of it like mini vampires biting away and sucking your blood. That's creating the panic. And guess what? Apparently, they're on the English tube in London. Great. Already. Thanks for reminding me as I head to London in two weeks' time. <laughs> so don't sit down. Hang on to the pole.
Well, let's just um, put this into context, or at least give the uh, reality that bed bugs, although they're uncomfortable, they're unpleasant, but the danger is more psychological than physical. They're not going to kill you. They're not going to transmit any disease. Uh, so rest assured, right, that it's not fatal if you come across a case of bed bugs. Uh, but really, you should maintain your hygiene and make sure that uh, bed bugs don't have an environment yes. to uh, procreate in. I wonder if this issue, this you know, search of infestation is because really many of us regard our bedroom as our sanctuary where we have our cocoon, right, where we are able to uh, rest in peace as opposed to having these little critters try and eat us and bite us in the process. Maybe that's what's also creating this craziness, right, for getting all these exterminators in. Apparently, I'm reading this Time article, you know, it's not the easiest uh, thing to get rid of bed bugs. There are painstaking steps and you need to do it pro- correctly, usually with professional training to get an infestation under control. So you still need to get the professionals in if it does happen, but it's it's, it's, it's bound to happen because we travel. We, we have gone back to traveling. We go around the world. We pick up stuff. We bring it home. The thing is, if it does happen, call the professionals. And you. let me tell you, if there are bed bugs, you know. You can. You, you wake up in the morning <laughs> and you've got evidence of it. Unless you haven't been bathing for some time, Sean. No, no, there's something totally different, okay? Hygiene has very little to do with bed bugs choosing you as their victim. All right. It is 9.45 a.m. Let's take a quick break, but we'll come back with more of the top stories that have been uh, percolating this week. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. 9.46 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run, and this is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show of the top stories of the week. Uh, can we turn to uh, looking ahead? At I think we ended talking about uh, Paris bedbugs and looking at the Paris Olympics. Um, I do want to mention that uh, new sports are going to be um, announced for the 2028 Games. And that's good for us because we have few claims to fame when it comes to sports. But for a while, we were the reigning world champions in squash with Datuk Nicole David. We've never, had, we've never been able to capitalize on that because squash isn't a recognized Olympic sport. But that may change in 2028. That's right. I think there are four new games being, five new sports, I think, being included. As you said, squash, they include cricket, lacrosse and flag football. What is flag football? We're all looking at you, Shani. I Am I the only one that... Am I the only one that Googles? Hello, hello. Am I the only one? Okay. So I, I, I Google, just like everybody else, when I don't know anything. And it's it's a non... It's a flag football. It's a five-on-five non-contact sport. It's a variant of American football. So that's what it's like. And the reason why it's coming to the to the Olympics is because there has been a push to introduce American football to the rest of the world because honestly nobody plays it but the people in the United States so it's like a it's like a shorter smaller version of the game again right my question is what's the criteria of selection for these sports into an international sporting event right if really one or two countries really dominate in a specific sports i just don't understand the criteria of selection of these sports i mean squash is played you know in multiple jurisdictions there are great players in egypt and such right so i can get get the logic even cricket i i i i'm on board with that but flag football they're very dominant with specific countries maybe we should have sepak takro then next time yeah i'm sure there'd be a lot of support for that from southeast asia for sure yeah. i think there is the question of what kind of sports get admitted to that olympic uh, arena right i mean there are things like race walking or or when i look at for example canoeing competitive canoeing a lot of uh, 
a lot of uh, fields, it does make me wonder, like, oh, why were you chosen as an Olympic sport over something like squash, which does have a, a global, uh, how do you say, representation? Okay, yes, the one that still Googles, okay, since you all have this question. Well done. Um, any sport to be included for the Olympic Games is evaluated based on five factors, which are then split into 35 criteria. So criteria includes, like, how much value the sport would add to the Olympic legacy, how long the sport has existed, how popular, and this is, I think, an important one, how popular is the sport in the host country? How much would it cost to broadcast the event? How much money can you make from the broadcast of these events is probably one other major uh, okay. criteria. And of course, it has to be approved by the IOC. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense then. I mean, if you're going to see the commercialization of it, I mean, flag football is a derivative of NFL, which is really a hugely commercial, you know, endeavor. There is, of course, a business case. But again, right, are we trying to, you know, put these criteria to set up someone, another f- spots in our favor? But in any case, with respect to squash, really happy it's included. I think people have been pushing for squash to, squash to be added for a very long time. Very relieved. I mean, of course, we wish Nicole's able to come back, right? So that she could she get Olympic gold, gold in her so deserves, right? Okay, but you but know... we have many other potentials, like the Malaysian women's squash team and even Ian Yao, they won gold medals in the recent Asian Games. So we shouldn't just entirely bank on all our hopes on Nicole David. No, I mean, she's retired. But <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing that actually... Uh, hems in this edition of new sports is overall there is a quota in terms of the number of athletes for each game. It's not like oh. you can have like unlimited number of people turn up at the uh, Olympics Village. No, no, mm. no. There's a criteria of 10,500 ga- athletes for each game. And that is why there's a lot of this like hoo haing and thinking about what sports to add. And when you add, you end up having to drop. Because you can't just keep on adding new games because you've got this overall uh, quota imposed on you. That's right, yeah. All right, and I think some of the sports under threat include boxing, weightlifting, and modern pentathlon. Um, Okay, so we'll have to wait and see what's going to be on this sports list for... uh, Olympics 2028. Uh, Let us turn our attention to what's happening locally. All eyes are going to be on the budget 2024 announcement later this afternoon around 4pm. But what we should be continuing to put eyes on and preferably with the magnifying glass is the latest edition of the Auditor General's report, which details how ministries and agencies have been managing taxpayers' money. And as as usual, the findings aren't pretty. Okay, let's start with the pretty. Let's start with the good. You know, we shouldn't always start with the bad. Number one, country's financial statements are stable as of last year, despite despite the country's debt increasing now. Now, this is the bad. Uh, increasing to 1.39 trillion ringgit, as stated in this Auditor General's report. Our new Auditor General has said that even though the debt has increased, revenue and GDP has improved. Okay, pat on the back. And that the Auditor General Department has issued an Auditor General certificate with an unreserved opinion with the other matters. In a nutshell, what's important is this certificate is considered a higher rank than what we issued compared to the last three years. So, you know, it's like 
last few years you got like maybe a B minus, B, a minus. No, I think maybe now B at plus. best B plus, <laughs> B plus. You're not you're not A plus yet. Unfortunately, with these AG reports, we tend to focus more on the negative than the positive. So it's really great that you mark the positives, but we cannot ignore the negatives because the government lost 108 million ringgit due to non-compliance in financial management. Now the AG said there were irregularities in irregular payments, loss of public funds and wages, and the federal government has written off. Check this out. 4.6 billion ringgit in loans in 2022, up from 701.5 million in 2021. That's a huge jump. It's yeah. a pretty staggering number. Do you want to know who were, who, were what the culprits? Be- yes. Okay. So biggest proportion of that was about 2.794 billion to Perwaja Trunganu. I thought this was like something like happened ages ago. Why are we writing it off now? Clearly, we extended the loan to them and really now they can't pay. But this is the legacy issue. As well as the Pahang State Government to the tune of 1.23 billion ringgit. Felkra, 242.4 million. And Malacca State Government, 173.5 million ringgit. Can I ask you, with these two state governments there, Pahang and Malacca, what, is, what does it say, say about our public finance, state public finances? You know, because that amount is huge. 1.23 billion for Pahang State and Malacca State, 173 million. On the back of you, hear so much discussion about infrastructure projects also happening there in those states, right? What does it say about the health of our state finances. I also, I mean, to be fair, I don't know the details in, in terms of what these loans were extended for and why the, you know, the project or whatever, the, it failed that the state government couldn't pay us back. But the point is, you know, really there needs to be check and balances, right, before the money is handed over. And is was, was that enough due diligence in the first place? And what's the recovery process before we decide, okay, this loan, we're never going to get it back. Let's write it off. Uh, but there were other ones. Malaysia Venture Capital Management, 55 million ringgit. Uda Holdings, 46 million ringgit. And Bank Pertanian, 40 million ringgit. All these headline numbers, uh, again, I think more, there's always that question, right? Whenever you have these reports from the Auditor General, is there action that's actually taken to address this issue, to redress things? That's mm. always the perennial question. When, Who's taken to task for it? Right. Do yeah. we see follow-up on it? And it just, uh, it seems like with every AG report, there isn't because we keep seeing new uh, cases cropping up. Okay, so those were loans written off, guys. We have loan arrears, <laughs> which haven't been written off, but are just like NPLs, right? So the NPLs amount to 10.79 billion across 295 borrowers. Uh, it's down from the 11.96 billion last year. Guilty ones include Inda Water Consortium, 3.6 billion. Wow. SRC, uh, don't think you're going to get your money back. 627 <laughs> million ringgit. And even KTM, 477.8 million ringgit. These are the and public entities, right? When you talk about Inda Water, Sabah, KTM, these are fundamentally services that we as a public experience, right? And it's just that perhaps we are struggling to make the payments there. All right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on all these stories in the coming week. And of course, all the Budget 2024 headlines. We're coming up to 9.56 a.m. Uh, heading into the 10 a.m. News Bulletin. That's all the time that we have for WTF What's the Focus? Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.